The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Right across the world today, people are celebrating. They're celebrating what Easter is. They're celebrating that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. Come on, let's read the story together in Luke chapter 24. I'm I'm getting uh, resonance here. Uh, some feedback. So if you can adjust that, that would be awesome for me because I'm, I'm hearing myself um, resonating. Okay, Luke 24 verses 1 to 12. This is what it says. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, it happened that they were greatly perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. I want to say to you today that the greatest event in history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The greatest event that's ever happened on this planet that's actually divided the history of mankind is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great God we serve. We serve a God who is not dead, but a God who is alive. That makes Christianity unique in the world because our Savior is not dead, but He's alive. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can visit the tomb in which they placed the body of Jesus, but the tomb is empty. And on the door of the tomb, it says this, He is not here. He is risen. And I love that. I love the fact that we worship a God who loves us, a God who was willing to die for us, a God who is totally unique. Some people worship a God who does not have the same revelation towards us that our God has. The revelation he has towards us is that we are his children. He is our creator and he loves us. You know, there are so many people in this world that worship a God who is capricious, a God who is fearful, a God who has no assurance of salvation. And so they believe the only assurance of salvation that they can ever get is to blow themselves up. And if they can blow themselves up, then maybe they can get into heaven. The only problem with that is even if they do get to heaven, there's no guarantee that they stay in heaven. How many of you know that the the Allah of the Muslims is so capricious that he can change his mind one day and say, do you know what? I'm tired of you being in heaven. You're out. No assurance ever of salvation. 
But how many of you know that we worship a God who is gracious, a God who is very different, a God who does not demand that your sons lay down their lives for their religion, but a God who said, I'll give you my son that you might live and have eternal life. That's the God that we serve. How unique and wonderful is that God? How sad I feel for people all over the world that do not have this revelation of a God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die on our behalf. But the beautiful thing is that on Easter Sunday, we don't just celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I turn your attention right now to to the forces of hell and the forces of the enemy that got Jesus in the grave. And there was this battle with death. Can you imagine the forces that were released to try to keep Jesus in the grave? I I imagine this, that the enemy said this, we have finally got the Son of God in the grave. We have finally got the Son of God where we want Him. And I want every demon, I want every part of my army to battle together to keep Jesus in the grave. And they they combined every ounce of power, every ounce of strength that they had to try to keep Jesus in the grave. But I want to tell you, the Bible says that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies. And I want to say that the power of the Holy Spirit was able to drive back every force of hell, every force of demons that tried to keep Jesus in the grave and that stone got rolled away. Jesus walked out of the empty tomb victorious, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the forces of hell on your behalf. And today you can sit in this church rejoicing that the combined forces of hell cannot stop the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can rejoice in that. You can rejoice in that. The God that we worship is unique. The God that we worship is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we worship our God, we worship the three in one. We, we are monotheistic Uh, religion. We believe in one God, but our God is totally unique. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So don't for one minute think that all religions are the same. Don't for one minute think that the God of the Muslims is the same God as the Christians. Wrong, forever wrong, eternally wrong. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God walked amongst us. Our God took on flesh. Our God was the one who came into this world as a baby. The one who was crucified on the cross. And the one who on the third day rose from the dead. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We believe in the victorious king of all ages, the way, the truth, and the life, the conqueror of sin, death, and Satan, the God who is alive forevermore. Amen. The New Testament has 27 revelations of Jesus, one for each book of the Bible. In Matthew, he's the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the humble servant. In Luke, 
He's seen as the perfect man. But in John, he's seen as the eternal God. In Acts, he's seen as the ascended Lord. In Romans, he is the Lord of righteousness. In 1 Corinthians, he's our resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he's the God of all comfort. In Galatians, he is our redeemer from the law. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he is the supplier of our every need. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. In 1 Thessalonians, he is the coming Christ. In 2 Thessalonians, he is the consuming Christ, taking vengeance on all those who do not obey the gospel. In 1 Timothy, he's the savior of sinners. In 2 Timothy, he is the righteous and rewarding judge. In Titus, he is our great God and savior. In Philemon, he is the payer of our debt. In Hebrews, he is the appointed heir of all things. In James, the great physician. In 1 Peter, the chief shepherd. In 2 Peter, the beloved son. In 1 John, the word of life. In 2 John, the son of the father. In 3 John, the truth. In Jude, the only wise God. And in the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, he is the Alpha and Omega, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who holds the keys of death and of Hades, the one who was dead but is alive forevermore, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, church. Let's shout some glory. He's alive and alive forevermore. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I'm just a little bit excited this morning, folks. Excuse me. I apologize for being excited. Can I give you three new things that God gives us because of the resurrection? Three new things. First new thing that God gives us because of the resurrection is a new deal, a new contract. This is what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. When Jesus took the communion, as Pastor Drew talked about this morning, he held the cup which had wine in it. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And what Jesus was saying is that there's a new contract. There was an old contract, and now there's a new contract. There was an old deal, and now there's a new deal. And there's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. Matter of fact, when we talk about the New Testament, we're actually talking about the new contract. So the Old Testament is the old contract. The New Testament is the new contract. And a contract is a document that two parties enter into that explains the responsibilities that each have. So John signed up a contract for his new apartment. And the contract had something to do with if you pay a certain sum then you will receive the deeds to a certain apartment. And so that was the deal. That was the contract. And so if he came up with the money, then he gets the deeds to the apartment. That was the simple, that's what a contract is. And so the Old Testament, the old contract was this. If you want salvation, then these laws that you've got to keep, 
There's sacrifices you've got to make. There's feasts that you've got to heed to. If you're a male, you've got to get circumcised. There's intermediaries that actually do uh, sacrifices on your behalf. They're called priests and high priests. And there's barriers and veils that separate you from God. There's all sorts of barriers. And the temple was filled with barriers that separated people from God. Matter of fact, one of the things that I love on, on Good Friday was the key barrier. It was this veil in the temple. It was a thick veil. A veil that was so thick that it was literally constantly declaring, there is separation between you and God. It was so intense that only one person once a year could enter through that veil, and that was the high priest on the Day of Atonement, and he could only enter with the blood sacrifice to go in and sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. And, and, and it, was, it was customary, and people knew that if God didn't accept that sacrifice, that high priest would be struck dead. And so, and so we, we learn from history that the high priest would enter in with a rope around his waist and he had bells and around his, the bottom of his robe. And, and when he would walk in, he'd walk in with, with fear and trepidation because the old contract gave us a God of fear, a God that was awesome, a God of judgment. And he'd go in there with the blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat. And if God wouldn't accept the sacrifice, bang, the high priest would be struck dead. And once they, people would hear the bells stop tinkling, they'd just pull on the rope and pull him out because God didn't accept the sacrifice. And, but l- l- let me just press pause there. That history tells us that never once, never once was a high priest struck dead because God would not look at the merits of the priest. He'd look at the merits of the blood. And forgiveness would always come through the blood. Not how good the priest was, but how good the blood was. But when Jesus shed his blood, oh my friends, the Bible tells us that on that day, on Friday, the veil in the temple was torn in two. But it wasn't torn in two from the bottom up, signifying that man made the tear. The Bible tells us that it was torn in two from top to the bottom, signifying that God made the tear, that God removed that barrier, that God said, I've broken, I've ripped up the old contract. The old contract has been destroyed and a new contract has been written through the blood of Jesus Christ. A new contract that was written that says, whosoever will can come and receive forgiveness of sins because the blood has been shed, the blood of the Lamb of God. My friends, the new contract is written in the blood of Jesus. It was signed by the blood of Jesus. And the new contract represents Jesus as the Lamb of God. Jesus, the sacrifice of God. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Jesus, our great and high priest. Jesus, who tore down the wall of separation. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life forever, our Redeemer. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Woo! The new contract is the contract of grace, not the contract of law, but the contract of grace. The old contract was all about what you had to do to appease God. The new contract is all about what God has done to make sure that your sins 
can be forgiven. The contract of the law versus the contract of grace. What a beautiful thing. So the, this, the, the responsibility is simply this. God has done everything that he needed to do to, to purchase your salvation. What we've got to do now is receive the free gift of salvation by simply repenting, by simply admitting that we've sinned, believe that Jesus Christ died for us and rose on the third day and committing ourselves to following after him. This commitment is such an important thing that says, Jesus, if you were willing to die for me, I'm willing to live for you. See, there's responsibility on your behalf. There is responsibility on my behalf. But you know what? Our our part is so small compared to what he did. What's required of us is so small because it's not by sacrifice that you're saved. God's already done that. Now there's proof that you're really sincere by committing yourself to following him, by committing yourself to living this new walk that God has opened up for us. The first thing that God's given us on Resurrection Sunday is a new deal, a new contract. How many of you think that's awesome? Let me tell you the second thing that we get. We get a new start. Not just a new contract, but a new start. I love, I love new starts. How many of you love new starts? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, so many people try to turn over a new leaf. So many people try to start a new chapter. So many people want to forget about the past. But I want to tell you, the only way that you can start over again is through Jesus. Because only in Christ do you get a new life. You get a brand new life, a brand new start. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So many people are carrying on their shoulders the guilt of past sins, the guilt of past mistakes. Is there anyone here that has never, ever, ever made a mistake? Is there anyone here like that? Is there anyone here that's never, ever done anything that they are not ashamed of? Come on, every single one of us. Come on, can you admit that? Every single one of us have made mistakes. Every single one of us have done things of which we are ashamed. It's just, and, 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 and so many people carry that. And so not only do they carry their shame, but they carry other people's shame as well. They carry the shame of what others have done to them. They carry family secrets of shameful things that have happened in dark places on dark nights. And they carry the shame and they carry it year in and year out. And it's like a big bag of shame on your shoulders and it weighs you down. And some people, you can see it on their face. When you look at them, you can see you are covered in shame. There's no joy. There's no light. There's no beauty because of the shame, because of the guilt, because of the rubbish of the past. The Bible says that Jesus came to take it away so that you can have a brand new start. Oh, what a beautiful thing that Jesus can get the junk out of your trunk, that Jesus can get the shame from your past and take it away. But you've got to take it to the foot of the cross. You've got to take it to the foot of the cross. When I was, when I was a teenager, 
I think it was Chuck Gerard, one of the great gospel singers of the 70s. How many of you remember Chuck Gerard? He used to, nah, that's way before your time. He used to sing, lay your burden down. Lay your burden down. Take your burden to the foot of the cross and lay your burden down. And that's the, that is the invitation today. To take your burden, to take your guilt, to take your shame, to take your junk and take it to the foot of the cross and lay it down because Jesus died so that you can have a new start. Jesus died so that your sins can be removed from you and you can get a brand new start. And you know the beautiful thing is this, not only do you get a brand new start, you also get a brand new heart. I love that. With a new start comes a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says, I'll give you a new heart. I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. God will give you a new heart. God will give you a new mind. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about having the mind of Christ where your whole thinking becomes different now. So you get a new heart, you get a new mind, you get a new start. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You start to see things with a Christian worldview. Oh, how beautiful things are with a Christian worldview. I I get so upset when I read the media, when I read journalists of this world that are trying to propagate that total rubbish. And that's exactly what it is because they have an unrenewed, unsanctified mind and they are passing things through their filter of error and they're trying to convince you that they've got the truth. The fact is the world does not have the truth. They think they have the truth. They think political correctness is the truth. But I want to tell you that political correctness is someone's ideology that will change from season to season. But there is truth, my friends. There is truth that never changes. And it's found in this book called the Bible. The Bible, God's Word. And in the Bible, this truth never changes. Seasons come, seasons go. Matter of fact, heaven and earth will pass away before, before one word from this book will fall short. So if you're going to put your confidence in anything, don't put it on the media. Don't put it on political correctness. Don't put it on the philosophies of this world. Put it on the unchanging word of God that is forever. <laughs> Hallelujah. Woo. I don't know what's come upon me today, but I'm just full of excitement and enthusiasm. Let me tell you the third thing you get that's new. Get a new deal, new contract, a new start. Then you get a new name. What a new name. In Revelation 2.17, it says, To him who overcomes, I give him a white stone, and on the stone, a new name is written. A new name. A new name. So what does that talks about? Well, let, let me tell you what that talks about. My name is John Giuliano. So Giuliano means son of Julius. How many of you knew that? Son of Julius is what Giuliano means. I've got no idea who Julius is. <laughs> but I'm his son, apparently. So I looked in the Bible and I found Julius in the Bible. And uh, the Roman soldier that looked after Paul, taking him from Jerusalem to Rome, his name was Julius. 
Now, I've got no evidence that that was my forefathers, but the only connection is that I'm Italian and there is some connection there. Anyway, the point is this, is that I have my name, John Giuliano, is connected to my human DNA, my human connections. I do know my father's name, it's Salvatore. I do know my grandfather's name, it's Pasquale. I do know my great-grandfather's name, it's Salvatore. I do know my great-great-great-grandfather's name, it's Pasquale. (laughs) So have a guess what my name should have been. Pasquale. What do you reckon? I should have been, and then after my mother's father, Domenico, I should have been Pasquale Domenico Giuliano. And nobody would ever doubt that that's Italian, <laughs> ever. But anyway, oh man, it was tough enough having Giuliano without Pasquale Domenico. But that's, so with, with your human name, not only are you connected um, physically, your DNA is connected as well. And so consequently, what happens is this, is that I've actually got um, physical challenges that are connected to my DNA. It's connected to my forefathers. So my father died of a heart attack. My grandfather died of a heart attack. I've got no idea what my great-grandfather died of. But my doctor is, is very much monitoring um, my physical being based on the DNA that I carry. And so my dad died of an aortic aneurysm. And so in a few weeks' time, I'm having a special test just to see how well my aorta is going. And so they're just going to ultrasound where my aorta and my heart connect to see that there's nothing wrong there because of my earthly DNA. I'm connected DNA-wise. There's also spiritual DNA that passes. How many of you know that, that for some of you, you have a propensity for various sins based on what's passed down from your forefathers. Alcoholism is a propensity that if you have that in your DNA, you better be careful with alcohol. I don't care that you say, well, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. He maybe he did. Well, there's no question that he did. But, but, but if you have a propensity for alcoholism, you better stay away from alcohol is all I can say to you because there's a weakness in your DNA that's connected to your forefathers. Some of you have sexual immorality in your DNA. You've got to be really careful that you stay pure and stay clean because that, that can be passed down from generation to generation. Some of you uh, can, can become uh, compulsive liars or compulsive thieves based on propensity that passes from generation to generation. Now, the beautiful thing is that in Christ, we become a new creation. In Christ, all things have passed away. In Christ, all things become new. And on top of that, you get a new name. And the new name is not connected to your earthly family. Now your new name is connected to your heavenly family. So I'm getting a new name. It's not son of Julius, it's son of God. 
How awesome is that? I go from son of Julius to son of God. Not only that, but I get to have the DNA of heaven in my spirit. Oh, how beautiful is that? God gives us a new deal. God gives us a new start. God gives us a new heart. God gives us a new mind. And God gives us a new name. Everything changes because of the resurrection. Everything changes because of the life of Jesus Christ. Tim, if you can come and play, I'm going to finish by just finishing off with two things that were opened on Easter Sunday that I want to make very clear to you. On Easter Sunday, 2,000 years ago, not only was the tomb opened, but there was a door in heaven opened, and I love that. When the tomb opened, the door in heaven opened. In Revelation 4, verse 1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The apostle John saw an open door in heaven, a door that was open to all humanity, a door that says, whosoever will can come in. Jesus made, made reference to this door when he said, I am the door. Whoever comes by me will be saved. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus made it very clear that he was the only bridge to the doorway to heaven, that he was the actual doorway to heaven. And this door has been opened for you to enter in. It was never opened. There were so many things that you had to do to appease God. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, this door was opened. And this beautiful welcome mat was just poured out, saying, whosoever will can come and have their sins forgiven and enter into eternal life. What a beautiful thing, the door that was closed the door that was barred, the door that had so many restrictions is now open. And the invitation is going out saying, would you come? Would you come? Matter of fact, one of the parables that Jesus spoke, he sent the servants to the highways, the byways, and said, come on, the feast is prepared. Door's been opened. Bring them in. Bring them in. The rich, the poor, the high, the mighty, the educated, the uneducated, whatever color, whatever race, whatever creed, bring them in. The door has been opened. Whosoever will can come. And the message is going out across the world. The door has been opened. The price has been paid. The table has been prepared. There's food on the table. There's richness of fare. There's beauty available for every single person. There's a robe of righteousness. There's sandals for your feet. There's a ring for your finger. There's a crown for your head. There's a place prepared for you with your name on it. Would you come? Would you come? Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 